You know, I am so encouraged by the positive feedback I have received regarding this series. And the Holy Spirit, I've heard from folks at all four of our campuses. I had all of you at 95th, Bolingbrook, Wheaton, Hobson. And there's a lot of people who have just said, I wanted to learn more of God's plan for the Holy Spirit's role in my life. And so your enthusiasm for this study is, is, is inspiring me, and I can't wait to continue. Let's do a quick review, shall we? Week one was entitled, The Importance of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at Jesus' words when he said, Hey, who's thirsty? Anybody find a yearning for more? And Christ said, I'll tell you what you need. You need the Holy Spirit of God. He will be like a well, a spring of water gushing from within you, satisfying the life you've been longing for. What you need, whether you realize it or not, is connection with God through the Holy Spirit. Last week we looked at a message entitled, The Filling of the Holy Spirit. We contrasted the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling. We learned that the key to be filled, where the power of the Spirit's released, the key is weakness, remember? You gotta come to the end of yourself and realize, I don't have what it takes, and desperately cling to the Spirit of God. God, if you don't show up by your Spirit, I'm toast. And it's that humble, desperate reliance that unleashes His transformational power in our lives. This week we come to a topic called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Have you studied the fruit before? Since we're talking about fruit, I have a bowl of fruit here. And you say, it doesn't look like fruit to me. Yes, these are avocados, which is a fruit, I might add. Avocados. I love avocados. To me, uh, if you have a cheeseburger, put a slice of avocado on that and it's a better cheeseburger. In fact, anything's better with an avocado on it. And yet the, the thing about avocados that has fooled me sometimes is that I'll grab an avocado and I'll look at it and I'll be like, oh, that's a beautiful avocado. But I cut into it and find out how wrong I was. You know what I mean? You ever had a rotten avocado? Take a look at this picture. Ah, sometimes they look good on the outside, but they're awful on the inside. You know, there are people that are like rotten avocados. People who look good on the outside, but their inner beauty is lacking. You know, I'm thinking of this uh, Me Too uh, movement of women bravely calling out the sexual assaults that they've dealt with at the workplace, and I'm realizing, oh my goodness, so many guys are just ugly. Guys who are, you know, celebrities, and they looked all good on the outside, but you, you discover that, oh my goodness, they, they're a mess. Folks, what do you look like on the, I know what you look like on the outside. You look great, by the way. <laughs> but how do you look on the inside? You got outer beauty. Do you have inner beauty? Some of you would say, well, I don't think I'm that much of a mess. I think maybe you say this, I'm like that avocado that you cut open and then you're like, yeah, there's some bad spots, but there's some good spots. And if I cut carefully, I can get all the junk out and salvage enough good avocado to make a decent sandwich, right? And I think that's how I would describe myself too. I got some good, I got some bad. Well, I have some really good news. You know what Jesus wants to do in your life? He wants to make you like this. He wants to make you beautiful. That's what we're talking about. The fruit of the Spirit is the beautification of the inner 
person. Uh, the, this is the, the avocado analogy breaks down here because with time, avocados go from beauty to rot. Christians go from rot to beauty with time. We come to Jesus with all of our mess, all of our bruises and rot, and Jesus loves us and forgives us as we are, but he says, I have an agenda. It's called sanctification. That's the increased beautification of your inner life. Not, I'm not as concerned, the Lord says, about your outside. I'm really concerned about your inner beauty. And he wants, by the power of his Spirit, to make you stunning on the inside. I think sometimes we mess up and we prioritize the outside too much, outer beauty. Would you agree? I think about all the time and investment we give towards looking good. I mean, we go to the gym and we work out trying to stay fit and we pay professionals to trim our hair so it looks just right. And some of you ladies pay professionals to do your nails and Every day we're showering and shaving and combing and the ladies are doing makeup. I mean, we, we spend a lot of money on clothing, you know, just to maximize looking the best we can. I'm not saying that's all wrong. I'm simply saying we should have a disproportionate investment of focus on beautifying the inside. Inside's what matters. Young people who are, you know, looking for a spouse... Don't be so enamored by external beauty that you fail to look for what matters most. And that's what do they look like on the inside? We need to get beautiful. So how? How do we get beautiful? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is the key. And so let's study together, shall we? This is Galatians chapter 5. If you are inclined to read along in the Bible provided in the seat in front of you, you'll find that the page on 1,171. Galatians 5, verse 22 and following. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There you go. What are the beauty marks that the Holy Spirit brings about? Nine of them listed here in this passage. Now, it's one thing to say someone's beautiful. It's another to get specific about what's beautiful about them. I've heard about teenage girls. I've heard that teenage girls will describe what they find attractive in a very handsome young boy. They'll, they'll say, you know, he's got eyes that just melt. He's got a smile that is glorious. He's got broad shoulders. He's got muscular legs. Now, I've been told girls do that. I was a teenage boy. We would never get obsessed about a physical attribute in a girl. I mean, we're much more. <laughs> so when, when you say someone's beautiful, you can get specific and point to specific beauties that you're referring to. And so with inner beauty, you can say, oh, someone's just got beauty within them. Or you can get specific and say, I'll tell you what's beautiful about them. That's what this list is. It is Inner beauty, specific inner beauties that God wants to bring about in us. And I should also point out, these are precisely the inner beauties that already characterize God himself. What is God like? What are the traits, the attributes that he embodies? There they are. 
And so really what the Spirit is doing is making us more like Jesus. There's a passage in Romans 8 that says, we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. That's His beauty attributes are increasingly becoming our beauty attributes. And so let's look at what the Holy Spirit wants to make you like, shall we? I don't have the time to speak at length about each of these because there are nine of them, but I would like to comment briefly on each of them. So let's start with love. First one, love. Love seems to have this dominant role in the Christian life. Our world is devoid of love. You know, the psychologists, psychiatrists say that the human heart craves above all else to be loved, just deeply loved by somebody. There's not enough love going around in the world. And God is love, so he's bringing it. And he's bringing it through his own. His plan is that Christians would be known as unbelievably loving people. In fact, Jesus said, they will know you, are my followers, by your love. The distinguishing attribute that we Christians are to be known by is love. And not just a little love, we're talking graduate level love. Jesus called us to love our enemies, to love those who drive us crazy, who don't deserve to be loved. That's the agape, undeserved love that Jesus modeled and calls us to. And so the plan of Jesus is that the people would look at Christians and just the world would say, wow, they just love everybody all the time. Do they say that of you? We probably have some room to grow in love. What's next? Joy. This attribute, this beauty attribute of joy is not worldly happiness. You know, there's a, there's a happiness the world knows that's attached to circumstances like there's a really good moment and I'm happy in that moment. No, no. Biblical ha- joy goes way beyond worldly happiness. Biblical joy is not attached to circumstances at all. It's attached to your friendship with God, the fact that he's forgiven and adopted you into his family and he's walking with you. And people can have joy even when all the circumstances of their lives are falling apart. We are to have a high-heartedness, a love for life because of him. And, And you may say, I've got joy, but everybody thinks I'm grumpy. Well, that's a problem, you know, because if it's real joy, it should be evident. There should be that sparkle in your eye and that bounce in your step. Uh, Joy becomes evident. And so do you have room to grow in joy? Do you say, Lord, even in the darkest of times, I want to find joy in you that pervades my life. How about peace? Oh, man, this is an important one. These days, it seems we read the news and we see the problems far and near and we're just like, there's reason for anxiety and stress all the time. And yet, there is the promise that the Holy Spirit of God wants to give a peace that surpasses all understanding. I love that phrase. It's like, why in the world do you have peace? You shouldn't have peace. Well, here's why. God's got me. I'm good. I'm with him. I'm I'm in the shadow of his wings. I I love that Old Testament phrase. It speaks of a bird wrapping its wings around its young. And similarly, the Bible says, we are in the shadow of his wings. And so he's got me. Does that mean that cancer or some big problem won't come my way? No. 
But if it does, it's because the Lord in his infinite wisdom and love has allowed it to come my way and he'll walk me through it. And so I go to bed every night increasingly with peace, you may say. Peace that the world knows not. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that being in the hands of God can bring. Spirit wants to grow you in that peace. How about forbearance? This is a fun one. Some of the old translations say patience. You may remember patience. Forbearance, the the word the new NIV uses, I think is a more accurate term, though a little less commonly understood. Let me explain it because it's really meaningful. To forbear with someone means to be patient with their weakness or sin. To be gracious to them, even though they're a little messed up, maybe. Folks, sometimes we get irritated and when they drive me crazy and we are hypercritical of people because of their failure. That's not being forbearing. Forbearance is this gracious disposition towards them. You know, if, if you are like, if you look at people and you say, they are a jerk. I mean, look at how they treat people. The fact that you say that, that's, that's a good sign. That probably means you're not like them in some ways, which is a sign of growth. But the fact that they bother you so much is a sign that you have growth in forbearance that needs to happen. Now, are you say, you may say, so I'm supposed to like not notice or not care about the weakness and problems in people's lives? No, I'm not saying that. In fact, God may call you to confront But if he does call you to confront, he will call you to confront with love and trying to help them grow. Uh, Most of the time, God doesn't call us to confront. Most of the time, God calls us to forbear, to say, hey, yeah, that was a weakness, but I don't feel the need to criticize, point it out. I'm just going to love them. Uh, And I'm going to live with those because they're living with you. And hopefully we can forbear with each other, not grow irritated and frustrated with the sin and weakness in others, because everybody's a work in progress. Well, kindness. Boy, is this important. Some of you guys may be tempted to say, oh, I'm going to skip kindness because I'm a man. That's for the ladies, all that wimpy kindness stuff. No. Kindness is a powerful strength, men. Kindness is treating people with the respect and dignity that all human beings deserve as those created in the image of God. And it's of short supply these days. And I'll confess, I fail in kindness all the time. My wife points it out. I'll be uh, at a store or a restaurant interacting with a cashier. And Jen will just say, Jeff, do you know how you just spoke to them? What? Uh, they asked you questions and your answers were so sharp and short. I'm like, it was a business transaction. You know, I'm just trying to be efficient here. Let's get it done. I answered their question. And Jen's like, you didn't speak with kindness. You didn't look them in the eye. As you walked away, they were glad you did. (laughs) And it's true. when, When my wife interacts with people, she is purposefully kind in such a way that when she walks away, they say, wow, that person made me feel like a million bucks. I need to grow in kindness and view every single interaction as an opportunity, a calling by God to convey the value of that human being by my kindness. Goodness. Goodness, 
Uh, again, words immediately confusing, but if you look at the Greek word that's translated goodness, it has to do with high integrity. It has to do with being ethical in all your actions. I think particularly of you uh, women and men who are in business and the temptation there is to cut corners to maximize profit. And there's, you know, people making compromises all over the time. And person of goodness says, no, I will not. I will do what's right and ethical. And I'm inspired by those of you who take losses, take a pass on possible profit, because you do the right thing. You don't cut the corners. Boy, it's rare, but it's stunningly beautiful, and it's one of the fruit of the Spirit called goodness. How about faithfulness? Faithfulness is handling responsibility well. You know, God gives each of us uh, responsibility, and when we are faithful, we handle it well. If we're irresponsible, we're not being faithful. I think of the parable of the talents Jesus told. Do you remember that parable? The talents were money. And in the parable, there's a guy who's got money, and he entrusts some of the money to his servants and asks them to invest it to increase his profit. Some of the servants do that. They invest it, and they make money, and they have a good return on their investment. And if you recall what the master said to them, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And the the parables are applying to our lives that God has entrusted us with certain responsibilities and in the end, we want to hear you were faithful. You were faithful. What are those things God's entrusted us with? Well, the three T's come to mind. Maybe you've heard of these before. Time, talent, and treasure. And those are three things God has given us and said be responsible, be faithful. And stewarding or managing these entrustments in a way that advances my cause. And so when we look at our time, uh, your time is precious. Every day, every hour matters. Don't be irresponsible or unfaithful in managing that in a wise way to serve God, love people, advance his cause. When we look at uh, talent, God has given you talent. And some people neglect stewarding that talent well. Say, Lord, you've given me this ability. How can I use it? to serve you. Or treasure. Uh, Your money is really God's money entrusted to your stewardship. And yes, God says, I want you to save some. Bible talks about saving for the future. God says, "I, I want you to spend responsibly on both the needs and the joys for you and your family. And God also says, I want you to give generously to my cause. In fact, the benchmark is called the tithe. Uh, The Bible talks about 10% of our income being invested in God's eternal cause at the local church. And I know some of you are newer to this. You're like, what? There are people in this church who give 10% of their money to God's cause here at the church? And I'd say, not only are there people, this whole place for decades has gone forward in power because of those who hear that call of God and are faithful in, in stewarding their money according to his principles. I wonder if you will be known as faithful in the halls of heaven regarding what's been entrusted to you. What's next? Gentleness. Again, the guys may be like, I'm going to skip that one. Who wants to be gentle? Here, here, here's the deal. What it's actually getting at is the opposite of rage. 
the opposite of anger. You know, there's a tendency to just fly off the handle, and some of the worst things are done when we're enraged. We say things and do things we will regret for our life. It's like being drunk and out of control when you're in rage. And God says, strength is seen in gentleness. Gentleness is when you have a handle on your anger and you don't hurt people, but rather have learned to grow in controlling that and being gentle in your your interactions with others. What do we got? Self-control is the last one. What is self-control? Self-control is the capacity to not do what you know you shouldn't do and to do-do those things that you know you should do. Uh, Self-control is much needed. Uh, We have these desires, these passions, these lusts. I I think of uh, sexual lust and the temptation of pornography, and God says, don't. And you say, Lord, well, then you're going to have to give me self-control to gain victory in this. And the Holy Spirit can grow us in self-control. I I think of substance and alcohol and how the lack of self-control has destroyed so many lives. And we say, God, help me be moderate in my use of alcohol and gain victory here. Uh, Chocolate cake, let's go as long as we're talking self-control, you know. So much need for self-control. So many lives have been destroyed for lack of self-control. May God grow us in that. Imagine with me, well, if you were to grow in all nine of these, I'm not talking about perfection in all nine of them. That's unrealistic and won't happen until we get to heaven. But growth, if there was tangible growth in all nine of these areas in your life, those around you would notice, my friends. They would be like, what's up with you? And you say, what? Is it a bad thing? No, no, it's beautiful. That's God's plan. It's to make you beautiful. Not on the outside, but on the inside. And his strategy is the Holy Spirit. In fact, let's let's get to that. You say, well, how? How do I get more of the fruit of the Spirit? I want to be beautiful. The Holy Spirit is the key. And we learned last week, I need to go back just for a moment and remind you that the key to the power of the Spirit working within us is weakness, is desperate reliance on him, saying, I can't unless you help. And it's, if you look at these and you're like, yeah, those are good attributes. I think on my own strength, I'll willpower those into existence. You're going to fail and the Spirit won't be there to help. But if you, on the other hand, come to a place of saying, I can't be like this. Spirit of the living God, change me, please. That def- desperate reliance will be met by the filling of the Spirit, the release of His power, to bring about attributes you would not have without his help. Now, it's not entirely that simple. That desperate reliance in him bringing the fruit is definitely part of how the Spirit works. But as I read on in this passage, I saw a little bit more complexity as to how he brings about the fruit of the Spirit. So let's continue our study so we can understand a little bit more fully. Uh, The passage continues in verse 23, and it says, Against such things there is no law. Such things are the fruit of the Spirit. There's no law against the fruit of the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, Christians, have crucified the flesh 
It's passions and desires. Crucifixion of the flesh. This is what theologians call the mortification of the flesh. This is us turning our back on our old lives. You know, when you become a Christian, you repent and you say, I'm done with my old way of living. And Jesus, I'm following you into newness of life. That's that I'm viewing my old life as dead. In fact, baptism celebrates this. When we baptize people, they go into the water, which symbolizes the death and burial of their old life. And when they burst out of the water, that symbolizes the resurrection to newness of life that they are invited into by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, In fact, uh, let's go to the next phrase because it continues this theme. Verse 25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Oh, this is good. Uh, Let's highlight this first part. Since we live by the Spirit, that's in connection to the verse we just read. Remember, the verse we just said said, we've crucified our old life. Our old life is dead, and we have a new life. We live by the Spirit. Our new life is is by the power of the Spirit. We're able to leave the old behind and move forward into the newness of life by the power of the Spirit. Since we have the power in the Spirit to live a new life, that brings us to this next phrase, which is really important. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the power of the Spirit, we are invited to keep in step with the Spirit. This keep in step, I discovered that that's a Greek word, stoikomen, which is actually a military term. Stoikomen means to march, like the military marches. So interesting, you know, the marching is a military strategy employed back in biblical days and still today. You know, it was needed to get large amounts of soldiers from one place to another, and that can be chaotic and ineffective, and so they came up with marching. They said the most efficient way is to have a leader who sets the pace, who sets the direction, who sets the type of step, and everybody behind does the same thing. We'll get everybody there efficiently. And God, in this passage, has grabbed that imagery and said, that's how we learn to live the fruit of the Spirit. We follow, we march behind the Spirit. Who leads? Who's the leader of this marching? The Spirit is the leader. Who's following in his footsteps? We are. That imagery is extremely helpful. It's it's the imagery of leading by example. The, The Holy Spirit sets the example, and we try to live as he models for us. Now, that simple command, keep in step. Now we understand it to be marching imagery. That simple command implies three steps. One is watch the Spirit's example. Look how he walks, right? Isn't that implied? Not only do you need to look at how he walks, you need to evaluate how you're walking to see if you're walking like him. And sometimes you realize, eh, I'm not walking like him at all. And so the third implied step is adjust your walk to be like his. So look at his example. See how you're doing in comparison and make adjustments if needed. Those three steps are the training of the Holy Spirit to walk in that way. Uh, How it works is we look at his example. What is the example we look at? First of all, the fruit of the Spirit are the attributes of God. We already said that. So you study the fruit of the Spirit. He, the Spirit, will bring to mind 
examples of, hey, remember how God does things? He'll bring to mind God's way as we go through our day. And then what about evaluating yourself and how you're doing? Well, sometimes you realize, I am not doing what Jesus would do or talking like Jesus would talk in this moment. You know what that is? That's conviction of sin. And the Bible says the Spirit convicts the world of sin, shows us that's not the way God walks. And then you repent and you say, I'm sorry for walking this way, Lord. And what do you do next? You adjust your walk. You say, let me try it again and see if I can get it right with your help the next time. Do you see this training process? Look at his example. Look at your own walk to see if it matches. Make adjustments when necessary. Let me give you an example in my own life of how this was lived out recently. Uh, maybe a week ago now, my daughter Janae was at a friend's house, and I was, uh, went to pick Janae up at this friend's house. I had never met this friend or her parents before. I was, you know, in a time-efficient manner, so I called Janae as I pulled into the driveway. Hey, Janae, I'm here. You want to come out and get in the car? And she says, Dad, come in and say hi. Kindness, you know, I'm still learning. And so I'm like, yeah, you're right, you're right. And so I get out of the car and I go to the door, hey. And they invited me in, which was very kind. Come on in. And the, the dad says, hey, I hear you're a pastor. That's right, I am. And he says, tell me your story. I'm like, wow. He goes, I want to hear your story. And I'm like, okay. And so I told the story of how Christ had impacted my life, transformed my life. He says, tell me about your career path. So I told him about the church I was at and the church I'm now at and what God did at the church and kind of told my story. We were there quite a while. When we were done, I got in the car and as I was driving home, the Holy Spirit shone a light on what I had said and particularly the arrogance of how I told the story, the pride in me on display and how I told my story. And I just realized the Lord is humble, would not have done it like that. And I'm looking at the way I walked and talked and I'm like, I didn't do it how the Lord would do it. And I was just grieved with repentance and just, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Me. The more I thought about it as I drove home, the more ugly. I had been, here's the bad part. I have told my story this way countless times for years past, but I'd never seen. Sometimes we're lacking self-awareness. But in this moment, it was like a spotlight by the Holy Spirit was shown into my heart. Where like, he showed me, Jeff, do you realize how arrogant you are and how arrogant that came across? As I went to bed that night, I'm replaying what I said, and every time I do, it's more disgusting. Have you ever disgusted with your own behavior? More disgusting as I replay it, and I just said, oh, God, forgive me. I remain an arrogant man. Friday morning of this week, I was invited to speak to a men's breakfast event, a Christian men's breakfast, and they said, your topic is tell us your story. Here I go again. I actually asked for my wife's help. I go, Jen, pray for me because, boy, I just did this a few days ago and it was ugly. And here I go again. And I just cried out to the Holy Spirit, thanks for giving me another chance. You forgave me. Help me keep in step with your example this time. And friends, he did. He did. Now, I didn't just adjust my vocabulary so that I sound more humble. 
I actually felt growth and humility in my heart. I saw my story differently. The Lord's like, Jeff, you tell it wrong because you see it wrong. I mean, here's the deal. It's not about you. It's not you, in fact. It's me working through you. And he just showed me with greater clarity the actual facts of my story. And as I told it this time, there was a measure of humility. Now, I'm not done with my battle with pride. That continues. But I'm telling you, I grew a little bit. And that's the training that's involved with keep in step with the Spirit. And when you grow a little bit each week, each month, each year, over time, you become more beautiful on the inside. Some of you are like, you're talking about pride. That's not even one of the fruit of the Spirit. Don't worry about it, Jeff. No, Uh, you have to worry about it. Listen, the fruit of the Spirit are not an exhaustive list. There are so many ways that God wants to beautify us. Those are just nine examples of ways we can grow to be more like Jesus. You know what my prayer is for us? My prayer is that uh, the Compass Church would become like a bowl of avocados. Perfectly ripe avocados. I know that when we come, we are all bruised and rotten on the inside. That's, that's fine. That's exactly what God wants. All of you new to Jesus who are just so bruised and broken on the insides, welcome. You are loved. And he has a plan to make you beautiful. He'll forgive you in a moment, but he loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you where you're at. He wants to beautify you. And my prayer is that we would genuinely be a people who are desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit. We are so committed to inner beauty that we keep in step with the Spirit, saying, Lord, let's, let's do this thing. Let's focus on the rot in me and see if you can't help me grow. And my prayer is that we would be increasingly a bowl of beautifully, perfectly ripe avocados. I don't care how we look on the outside. Obviously, the avocado is not a good-looking thing. It's kind of green and lumpy, you know, and How we look on the outside doesn't really matter. But my prayer is that when the Lord looks at us, he would say, oh, those folks at all four campuses of the Compass Church, they are dead set serious on growing in Christ-likeness. And the Spirit of God is bringing the fruit in their lives more every day. Let's pray towards that end. God... Boy, as I look at that list, and I know my friends here would agree, we fall short of living out those attributes fully. And we just acknowledge the sin remains. And Lord, we repent and we ask for your forgiveness. And forgiveness is great, but God, we want to grow now. Would you help us by your spirit? Help us grow. Train us, Lord. Help us keep in step with your spirit as he leads by example through life on how to live. And God, little by little, moment by moment, may each week, each day actually be a training session, God, where your spirit teaches us how to be beautiful. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.